HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, welcome to Japan Needs. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from a studio at Robardus in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This show is all about Japanese food and the food culture. We see sushi at every deli and supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen izakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is still a mystery for many people, and I will try to demystify it in this program with my cool guests. And my guest today is Timothy Sullivan, who is a leading sake expert and brand ambassador for Hakkai-san Sake Brewery in Niigata Prefecture. We'll talk about how Tim's career has transformed from technology professional to a sake expert, what he does as sake ambassador, and interesting new certification programs for sake experts, and more. So it's going to be a great show. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, um, you're from New York, and you went to NYU to study German language and literature. So, how did you get into sake? Well, um, basically, about 10 years ago, one night, I just went out to dinner like I had many times before. Uh, But a friend took me to a really nice Japanese sushi restaurant, and on a whim, I ordered the most expensive sake on the menu. Oh, wow. And um, I remember it was $16 a glass, which was a big deal for me back then. Mm. And um, I just fell in love with it. And I started my career in sake by being like a hardcore uh, sake nerd and <laughs> just wanting to learn everything. I just really fell in love with it. Oh, wow. So do you remember what kind of sake and food you had? Yes, it's kind of funny. The very first premium sake I ever had was Hakkai-san Junmai Ginjo. Oh, wow. Sounds like a destiny. It, it is totally destiny. Mm. Yeah, it's, a, it's a great story to tell when I'm teaching and introducing myself. Mm. Okay. And uh, so right after you discovered sake in 2005, you started a website called urbansake.com. And could you tell us what it is? Sure. Um, almost, I'd say about four or five months after I discovered sake, I, just start, I decided to start a blog about sake. Mm-hmm. The reason for that was I was looking online for information in English on sake, and I couldn't find very much. 
So I wanted to uh, start a website where I could put my experiences out there very much as a student mm. and uh, tell people what I, what I was experiencing and try to spread the word a little bit about sake. So it started as a very small blog and I started recording all my experiences with sake. And then I began a database of all the sakes I was tasting. Mm. And now I have a record of over 800 sakes on my website. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, you have the, the database of sake, and uh, I think you, you can find events, sake events. And uh, there's a city guide where you go for finding sake bar and restaurants. And That's right. Yeah, so, yeah, listeners, it's uh, urbansake.com. It's very informative and reliable. Thank you. So, okay, and how did you study sake? Well, when I first started with sake, I knew absolutely nothing. And I had no background in wine or hospitality or the food business at all. As you said before, I came from technology. So mm. um, my first steps into the sake world were really just going to sake bars, trying to find places that had really high quality sake mm. and um, tasting as much as I could and asking the waiters and the servers and the bartenders to teach me what they knew. Mm. That was only 10 years ago. It's, uh, the situation was a little, I mean, really different. Very different. Some of the first places I went were um, famous sake places like Sakagura mm. and Decibel, and those are both literally underground right. places, <laughs>、right. kind of hidden.、Mm. So it, it really was an underground scene back then, or it felt like it.、Mm. Uh, there wasn't a lot of、uh, interest, and it was much harder to find restaurants that really specialized in premium sake.、Mm. And, uh, and there are more Japanese restaurants too, so now it's more accessible, but back then it's probably not as known. That's right. right? And、uh, nowadays,、uh, even French restaurants, New American restaurants carry sake. I know, it's a very exciting time for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you really initiated all this movement too, so thank you for that.、Um, so, what was、uh, the biggest challenge in learning sake as a non Japanese person? Well, the first thing that springs to mind, of course, is not speaking Japanese. I had no background in Japanese culture or language. My interest in、uh, J- J- Japan and Japanese comes、uh, through sake itself.、Mm. So, not being able to read the front labels or read kanji, or, <laughs> you know, if I met a brewer who was visiting from Japan, I would try to go to as many events as I could. And if I met a brewer, very often we could have just a very limited conversation.、Mm. Um, so, I set about right away to realize that if I'm going to Study more about sake, I have to learn more Japanese language. The、mm. two kind of go hand in hand. And then that extended to Japanese culture as well. So、um, mm. that's how it happened.、Yeah. Right. So, where did you study Japanese then? <laughs> well,、um, I took a semester at the、uh, Japan Society here in New York.、Mm. And I, I、um, realized that、um, a more flexible way to do it is actually online. There's、oh. online schools where you can、uh, book a session with a teacher over Skype. Okay. And、uh, I started doing that quite a lot, and I still do that today. Oh, wow. Is there any specific one you recommend for listeners? The one that I use for many years is called JOS.com, Japan Online School.、Mm. It's J OS.com. Okay.、Mm. Listeners, Very good school. Check that out. Yeah. <laughs> and then,、uh, so based on your Japanese language skills,、um, you started to be able to you know, really understand deeper side of sake. And was, like we talked before,、um, there's not much of,、uh, information available. So, That's right. Yeah, yeah I, I began just voraciously reading everything I could in English、mm-hmm. and、uh, taking as many classes as I could find, reading every book in English I could find, studying Japanese on the side.、Mm-hmm. So it just, just became kind of an obsessive thing for me. And <laughs> I just learned by tasting, learned by doing. And I think I learned the most from talking to. 
people in the sake business.、Mm. When brewers would come from Japan and I had a translator there,、mm. that was like magic. That was, they were like my rock stars. You know? So, <laughs> so、um, I would, I would、uh, maybe bend their ear a little bit too long, but I would always ask them lots of questions, and that's where I really learned the most.、Mm, okay. And have you ever worked at the sake brewery? Yes, I've done it twice.、Uh, I did an internship at Dasai Sake Brewery for two months、mm-hmm. uh, back in 2011. That's in、uh, Yamaguchi. It's in Yamaguchi Prefecture. In the West. Yeah. And I also did several weeks at Hakai san before、mm-hmm. I began the role as brand ambassador、mm-hmm. there. I worked there as a, as a brewery worker, as、okay. an intern.、Yeah. Wow. So the Hakai san is Niigata, where it's more north. Yes. And snowy area. Very snowy.、Mm. That's ideal for sake making, right? <laughs> it was beautiful. It、mm. was beautiful. It snows a lot, very wet snow, but it's not extremely cold.、Mm. So、um, you can really get out and enjoy the snow. Oh,、uh, yeah. okay. Because it's facing the Japan Sea、yeah. and the, the coldness is mitigated by the. Yeah, it's quite humid, but, but、uh, really just absolutely gorgeous. I fell in love with it. It's beautiful、mm. there. So, what was the biggest challenge? Like, you know, you are probably the only non Japanese person in the whole brewery, or maybe、yeah. in the whole region. <laughs> <Potentially. laughs> That's true. <laughs> And w- what happened? Well,、um, it was challenging both times.、Uh, I think that. When I first went to Yamaguchi and worked at Dasai, language was absolutely my biggest barrier.、Mm-hmm. Um, they were very welcoming and so nice to me, but sometimes I just simply didn't understand what they were saying and、mm-hmm. what they wanted me to do.、Um, so,、uh, bit by bit, I learned as much as I could. It was a really tough experience for me、uh, being there for such a long time、mm-hmm. and not being able to communicate fully. But Um, it, was, it was a very treasured experience because I saw everything close up. I got to experience the weight of、mm. carrying the rice,、mm-hmm. the, the heat of the steam, all the things that go into making sake. I felt them in my body. And、mm. it was an amazing, amazing experience.、Oh, wow. And then at Hakai san,、um, it was very much the same experience. I had a little bit more,、um, they had people assigned to help me. So I had like a buddy to work with. So it was uh, more. Um, Uh, more hands on type of learning and also really, really wonderful experience. So, when、mm. you get your hands in the rice and you can really feel the sake being made, it's,、oh, wow. it's wonderful. It really changed my life because it gave me a deep respect for the people who make sake、mm. and I really got to feel it deep、okay. down.、Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you know, the, they welcome you too. You know, like, it's such a traditional industry for centuries and、yes. centuries. So, they, they're open to you know, whoever wants to learn about sake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at, at Hakai san, I was the first non Japanese person to do、uh, an internship there.、Mm. Dasai had welcomed other non Japanese people before me, but it's exceedingly rare for a non Japanese person to、mm. do this type of internship、mm. um, in a brewery. And、uh, that's why I treasure that experience so much. Right. And now you're ambassador for、yes. the company, so there's、uh, always a sequence. I mean, it's like a destiny with Hakai san,、yes. it sounds like. Okay. And、uh, so now you work as a full time sake expert, but、uh, used to work at,、uh, as a director of technology at Barnes Noble for 11 years. Yes. And wasn't hard to switch your career to something so dramatically different?、Um, well, it was, a, it was a slow evolution. I discovered sake in 2005, and I ended up leaving Barnes Noble at, in 2010. So there was a five year transition period where I、mm. would leave work. Go to a sake event at night or spend my vacation days traveling to Japan.、Mm. And it was a slow but steady transition away from the web coding that I was doing to full time sake work.、Mm. Was that your intention? Eventually, you wanted to be a full time sake expert? 
no, it wasn't my intention all along, but when opportunities came up, mm. uh, it reached a point where I had to decide if I was going to go full, full bore with mm. the sake work or if I was going to keep one foot in the technology world. Mm. And I had a certain set of circumstances come up uh, that I decided that it was time to take the leap mm. and do sake full time. No regrets. No regrets. Um, <laughs> my, working, working at Barnes Noble was wonderful, but... Um, my quality of life has gone up so much because I'm able to work in the sake industry, something I love. Mm. So it's really true. When you do something you love, it really doesn't feel quite as much like work. Right. And it's that's working, totally yeah. true for me. Right. That's really true for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And, and only two years after you got into sake, uh, you earned the honorable title, sake sam, right? And could you tell us what it is and uh, why you were selected? <laughs> well, um, I was, had been blogging for two years, and um, I was contacted by the Japan Sake Brewers Association that they were considering me for this um, honor of being named a sake samurai. Uh, it is an award or a title given out by the Japan Sake Brewers Association, mm. and they give it to Japanese people and non-Japanese people in recognition for service mm. to the sake industry. Mm. And um, I had been blogging in English, and the fact that they noticed my little uh, website um, was a testament to how little information there was out there. Mm. So I think they appreciated um, the effort and time I was putting into talking about sake, promoting sake, you mm. know, very from a very genuine place of love for the beverage. Mm. You know, I wasn't working for a company or anything that was promoting sake. It was just my, my true feelings about it. And so um, I was very honored to go to Japan and receive this award. But the interesting thing was I had never been to Japan before. <laughs> so my first full day in Japan. I'm in Kyoto in a thousand-year-old UNESCO heritage shrine <laughs> receiving this title from the Japan Sake Brewers Association. It really blew my mind. Like It was quite quite the introduction to visiting Japan, oh, wow. receiving that award. So it, <laughs> it changed my life for sure. Mm, okay. Um, but it's amazing that it was, sounds like we really paved uh, you know, all the way all the way to other people who could be really interested in sake. So you are the founder of sake culture in a way in this country. <laughs> well, uh, when, you, when you become sake samurai, you go to the, the shrine mm. and you get up on the little platform and you have to swear to some vows. Mm. And one of the vows you swear to is that you'll promote sake with pride and passion throughout the world. Mm. And I took that vow very seriously. And it was a very spiritual place, quite honestly. It was, mm. you know, um, a lovely, lovely thousand-year-old shrine. And... Um, when I got back from that trip, uh, about a month later, I taught my very first class. Oh, wow. So I began, that began my education career. Mm. And um, it was taking that vow very seriously. And um, I've been trying to live up to it ever since. Mm. So it's a real samurai title. I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, how did you become the official sake ambassador of Hakkai-san Sake Brewery in October 2013? Yes. Um, well, I, I started uh, my relationship with Hakkai-san on that very first day when I tried their sake back in 2005, my first premium sake. And it just really, it was the pairing, really. The sushi and the sake together mm. were more than they were individually. You know, two, one plus one equals three. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so amazing. And my, I remember thinking to myself, more people have to know about this. Like, mm. why didn't I know about this? Nobody told me this wonderful thing was out there. So um, that was my first impression of Hakkai-san, which is very favorable. And then a few years later, when I started visiting Japan, I I talked to the local distributor here and I asked them if they could arrange a visit because I really wanted to visit this place that Mm. kind of changed my life. 
And um, that was the beginning of our relationship. I visited them. I had lunch with the brewery president. And then a, a little bit later, they asked me to do some writing for them in English, a little job here and there. Mm. And then they needed some help with their English language website. So I helped a little with that. And then I'd visit them again. And so our relationship grew in a very, very organic way over time. Mm. And then I started uh, doing uh, speaking engagements for them as well, representing them bit by bit. Mm. And then they invited me to be brand ambassador right. a couple years ago. Oh, wow. Well, um, actually, you know, I've met ambassadors from major spirit companies, but I've never met any sake ambassadors before. So does Sakaisen have a unique strategy compared to other traditional breweries? Well, I think the president of Hakkaisan is a really smart guy and definitely thinks outside the box.、Mm. And、um, he wants sake culture to be spread everywhere.、Mm. And、uh, working with me and letting me travel to different parts of the world and talk about their company and talk about sake culture in general,、mm. um, I think it's a really great vision for the future.、Mm. So they're, they're forward thinking, and、um, I think it's a great opportunity to、um, spread the word of sake all, all around the world.、Mm, okay. And actually, I think、uh, the brewery, the Hakaisan, has、uh, some retail shops and called the Sennen Kojia,、yes. um, which sells local fermented products such as you know, sake, byproduct of sake, sake、yes. kasu, sake leaves, koji, and even miso. So there are I think they're aiming at something bigger, like a traditional, you know, the preserving tradition, like developing it further. Yeah. I, one, one of the philosophies of the president that I really took to heart is that, you know, he said, you can make the best sake in the world, but if you have a very limited supply of it, only a few people can taste it.、Mm. But if you make a really high quality sake, but you make enough volume and enough capacity for many, many people to taste it, then you can really move the needle. You know,、mm. you can really change the world. If enough people get a chance to taste really high quality sake.、Mm. So, getting the word out there in many, many ways is kind of a driving philosophy of Hakkai san.、Mm. Well, actually,、uh, I'm sure our listeners can recognize the name Hakkai san because there are many restaurants that carry Hakkai san、yes. premium sake. Right? So, okay. And、uh, well, the other thing is that do you think、uh, you know, Hakkai san's strategy to expand to the US market? Uh, reflects the decline of popularity in a way of Japanese sake in Japan? You know, I'm, I really think that it's important to know that the overall market in Japan is contracting,、mm-hmm. but the majority of that、um, contraction is happening in the futsushu and the honjozo market.、Mm-hmm. So Which the, is cheaper, yeah, like less expensive,、grade. lower grade sake. That's really contracting.、Mm. Um, if you look only at the premium ginjoshu category,、mm. it's actually growing even in Japan.、Oh, wow. So I think instead of looking at it as a real decline in Japan, I look at it as kind of a renaissance of you know, really premium sake, kind of a growth in that category.、Mm. And America is just mirroring that growth. There's,、mm. there's a lot of hunger for. Really delicious premium products here, and I think that when people get a taste of premium sake, they really fall in love with right, it like I did.、So. Right, it's the complete opposite of、uh, the warm sake that could cause headache next day. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. And、uh, so, well, listeners, please drink sake and save the precious tradition of、yes. Japan. Right. And、uh, so, what do you do as a sake ambassador? Well, my primary、uh, goal as sake ambassador for Hakai san is to Um, introduce、uh, the Hakai san company, you know, explain what their philosophy is, also introduce their products. And、uh, a third and very important part of my work is to do general sake education.、Mm. You know,、um, you can't just focus on one style of sake. 
you have to really explain the whole culture for mm. um, everybody to get a real sense of what sake is. So I do a lot of general education, and I do tastings for Hakkai-san, and I also explain the company philosophy. So mm. um, education is a big part of my role there. Okay. And then for that, do you do seminars, classes, uh, what kind of thing, actual activities? Yeah, I do um, all types of things. I do uh, tasting dinners. I do in-store events where I'll go to a liquor or wine store and mm -hmm. stand there and pour sake for people. Um, I'll do large festivals. I'll do very expensive, glamorous, luxurious private dinners. Okay. Uh, all kinds of things. Um, mm. Anything and everything. We're always looking for new ideas, ways to introduce sake to people. Uh, luckily, it's becoming easier and easier. Sake is getting a very good reputation as being a premium product, and mm. people are always excited to talk to you about it. So it's it's becoming easier than it used to be. Oh wow! So you uh, they know what the questions that they're asking, like it's a little more advanced kind of questions. Definitely, yeah. And when when you know, I would say five years ago when I would go and say, "Oh, what do you think of sake?" People be like, "Oh, I don't know. I got so drunk on that once <laughs> and had a bad experience." But now more and more people are like, "Oh my gosh, I had the best sake at this restaurant. I don't know what it was called, but it." I loved it. It was so delicious. Mm. People are having more and more positive experiences with sake, and that's what we want to foster. That's what we want to grow. Mm. Okay. And uh, all right. So I think um, we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk about uh, sake and food pairings then. So, Sounds great. <laughs> so please stay with us. And this one's called Journey from Lime Rock by Slow Roasters. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Eats, broadcasting live from our studio in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I'm your host, Akiko Katayama, and my guest today is Timothy Sullivan, who is a leading sake expert and brand ambassador for Hakkai-san Sake Brewery. Um, so you used to teach uh, sake classes at the Astor Wine Center in New York City regularly. Yes. And uh, what kind of people came to your class? Well, um, I mentioned earlier that as soon as I got back from becoming Sake Samurai, I started teaching classes. My very first class was at Astor Center. Okay. They took a chance on me, mm. and um, I've become a much better teacher since then. <laughs> oh, I, but, by the way, the Astor Wine Center, it's uh, upstairs of a huge wine shop, yes. so they're really into education. Yes. So They do a great job, too. It's a beautiful facility. Mm. Um, yeah, but... Uh, that, that was my first step into uh, education, and uh, it was just such a good experience, but I've gotten a little bit better since then, I Okay. <laughs> well, actually, I attended one of your classes. That was amazing. I learned so much from you. Um, but that was the class I attended, I think it's more for journalists, and, uh, but the other classes, uh, there are many general public. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say, you know, sake is a little bit more expensive than you can get for wine or beer, so... A lot of the customers who were attracted were young professional types, people who enjoy a little bit more expensive food and wine experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of professionals, doctors, lawyers, mm -hmm. things like that. And I also got a fair amount of 
you know, wine experts who wanted to learn something about sake, and they would mm. come to a consumer class just to get the basics. Interesting, because yeah. it sounds like uh, sake is not a part of ethnic cuisine, but it's more extension of wine. Yes. Hi. Okay. And uh, in 2014, you became the instructor of Sake School of America, yes. which provides uh, courses to be certified as sake advisor, sake sommelier, and shochu advisor. So, first of all, what is Sake School of America? Well, sake School of America is a um, it's a place where you can get sake education. Um, we offer courses on the West Coast in LA and the East Coast uh, mostly in New York. And um, as you've mentioned, we have two levels of education. The sake advisor is the beginner level.、Mm-hmm. Um, it's geared towards professionals, so it's a full day seminar,、mm-hmm. and、uh, there's a hundred question.、Uh, Multiple choice test at the end.、Mm. And if you pass that test, you get certified as a sake advisor.、Mm. And then the next level is what we call international kiki sakeshi or international sake sommelier.、Mm-hmm. Uh, that class is a、uh, two day seminar plus a, a half day test.、Mm. And that involves blind tasting during the test and more written answers on the, on the actual exam.、Mm. So that's a lot more difficult, a lot more involved.、Right. Both classes involve tasting a lot of sake and learning、mm. how to taste and what to look for in sake.、Mm-hmm. So the first one,、uh, the sake advisor, it's, it's, it's nice, it's just one day. Yes. And then、um, you just cover the basic from history to how you make sake to everything. Exactly. It's a wonderful foundation for someone who maybe, you know, maybe they're not going to change their career to sake, but they work in a bar that maybe serves a couple sake and they need to know、mm. the foundation of, of everything、mm. related to sake. So we cover everything A to Z.、Mm. Um, so it's a really, really solid foundation.、Mm. So、uh, is, is it usually held in New York?、Or? Yes. Yep. We have it here in New York.、Mm. And how often? We do it four times a year.、Mm. Okay. So、and、once a season. Okay, and then what about、uh, the, you know, the sake advisor? No, the、uh, other one, the sake sommelier.、Mm-hmm. Is the same frequency?、Um, we do that twice a year.、Mm. Um, that's a little bit more of a challenging class, and that's really for people who are wanting to dive very deep into the world of sake.、Mm. So we offer that generally twice a year here on the East Coast. And we'll do it two or three times on the West Coast、mm, as well. Okay, so the people who attend the, the sommelier certification courses, they tend to be serious and they want to own a Japanese restaurant or、That's、that、right. kind of serious. Yeah, people who are, you know, work for a Japanese restaurant, they're either beverage directors or servers,、mm. or they work for a, a wine retail store that has a big sake selection. So we get a lot of. Industry professionals who come to the, the、mm. sommelier level class.、Mm. Is exam really hard? It's much harder than the first level.、Mm. Um, there's a lot of knowledge you have to know about the history of sake, all the technicalities of how sake is made and classified.、Mm. And then there's a blind tasting portion to the test, which I think scares people the most because you have to taste two sakes blind、oh, wow. and then write a, write a detailed description about the sakes.、Mm, so I have to taste a lot before to practice. Yes, there's lots and lots of practice.、Mm, okay. And、uh, so if our listeners are interested, where can they find information about the courses? All the information is on a website called sakeschoolofamerica.com.、Mm-hmm. So, all one word, sakeschoolofamerica.com.、Okay. You can go there, and the course schedule and course descriptions are all there.、Mm-hmm. Okay. And、uh, maybe through your website too? Urban yes, Sake? Absolutely. Urban on urbansake.com, I list the courses on my、uh, events calendar.、Mm-hmm. So, you can find them there as well. Okay. Right. And then our listeners can read more interesting articles too. So, 
Anyway, and uh, oh, the, by the way, the urbansake.com, I really like, uh, you know, the Sake 101 tub and uh, groceries. It's really, really well summarized and written. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's my go-to sake I grocery. I appreciate that. <laughs> right. And uh, so the existence of sake school is reflecting the popularity of sake in the U.S. So why do you think sake is becoming so popular in this country? Well, the short answer is that I think sake tastes really good. (laughs) (laughs) People try it and they love it. Mm. And like I did 10 years ago, I I had a real uh, hunger to learn more. Mm. And I think as people have more and more good experiences with sake, especially beverage and uh, hospitality professionals, I think that there's a real going to be an even increasing demand for mm. uh, education and people who can, you know, give people a really strong foundation in sake. Mm. Okay, and uh, and of course the image of sake probably is more associated with fine dining and something not necessarily Japanese but other cuisines too. Right. Okay, and uh, I was reading the mission statement, statement of Sake School of America, and it seems that they're trying to promote the value of uh, Jizake. It's J-I-Z-A-K-E, Jizake. And we all know the word Sake, but what is the difference between Sake and Jizake? Well, uh, Jizake is a Japanese word that can mean uh, local Sake mm. uh, from a particular area. But it's also come to mean like craft or artisanal sake, mm. more handcrafted sake. So it's used as a term in the industry to define kind of artisanal, handcrafted sake versus kind of mass-produced mm. sake. Okay, so, so like micro-brewed. Exactly. Like so when we say jizake, you could think of that as like micro-brewed or artisanal beer in the beer world, something like that. Mm. Okay. Uh, but you don't find the name on the label usually, but people say jizake. People say jizake, mm. yeah. And again, the original uh, definition of that is like a local sake, what you would have in your local region, your hometown mm. sake. Right. Uh, but that has morphed to have an impression more of... of craft artisanal sake mm, yeah I think it's a great term right and i think as a japanese we lovingly say jizake yes. it's like more affectionate term than sake in general okay and uh, uh last year i taught a class about sake and cheese pairings for a small group of journalists at uh, french cheese board in new york city and which is a trade organization of french david products and uh, you provided very interesting sake Thank so, you. Yeah, thank you. So y- we had three types of uh, sake at the event, and one is Hakkai-san sparkling, yes. and also Hakkai-san tokubetsu junmai, yes. and Hakkai-san kijoshu. Yes. So could you tell us what kind of sake they are? Sure. Those are three great sakes from Hakkai-san, and the reason I selected those is because they all pair beautifully mm-hmm. with cheese. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just say a quick word about cheese and sake pairing in general. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that sake has a much, much richer amino acid profile than wine does. Mm-hmm. Amino acids are the building blocks of protein. And one of that can be, uh, uh, you can also get a strong profile of lactic acid in, mm-hmm. sa- in sake. Right. And that is very pr- pr- prominent in cheese as well. So um, when you have these com- combination of the amino acids and lactic acid, 
you can have some really magnificent cheese and sake pairings. So mm. it's good to be aware that those things are present in sake to begin with. Right. It's kind of counterintuitive to have just cheese and sake, but uh, I didn't know that lactic, yeah. the connection of lactic acid. Yeah. Lactic acid is actually used in sake production as well. So mm. um, some styles of sake, if you smell them or taste them, you get a distinct impression of butter or cream, and people are sometimes surprised by that. But mm. that's the lactic acid taste coming forward. Um, the sake, as you uh, mentioned from Hakkai-san, the Tokubetsu Junmai mm-hmm. is a wonderful full-bodied Junmai-style sake. Junmai means a pure rice style, so no added alcohol. Mm. Um, I love that sake for its extreme balance. It's not too sweet. It's not too dry. It has mm. a very crisp finish. And I find that that is a wonderful foil for softer cheeses. Mm. I gave you the sparkling nigori. Oh, hold on, hold on. So that the uh, tokubetsu junmai, tokubetsu means special, special. and junmai, for the listeners, if you hear junmai, that means pure rice, meaning yes. no added alcohol. That's right. Right. So yeah. what's the, how do you describe without added alcohol? Do you think it's uh, richer or cleaner? What's kind of? Uh, general, well, you have the fortified style sake and the pure rice style sake. I find, in general, the pure rice style sake tends to taste more like rice. Mm. It has more grainy notes. It has more um, uh, dryness, usually. Mm. When you add the distilled alcohol to sake, you get more round flavors, more silkiness, more mm. rich mouthfeel. Mm. And it kind of turns up the volume a little bit on the aroma. Okay. So that's the difference that you're looking to b- between those two styles of sake. Mm. And that fortified alcohol, that's also made from rice. It can be made from rice. It can also be made from sugar cane. Mm -hmm. Um, It's usually just a very clean brewer's alcohol, a distillate of of something very, very pure. Mm. Okay. And uh, at the cheese event, um, so I have a note here, and the cheese paired with Tokubetsu Junmai was uh, 18-month, very old mimolet, and it's an orange cheese, um, cow's milk cheese, and as it ages, like 18 months, it's really aged, and it becomes chewy and brittle with butterscotch and nutty notes. So that butterscotch that you mentioned in sake. So there is a synergy between mimolette and the Junmai sake uh, of that distinctive, enhanced the distinctive, distinctive like butterscotch flavor. Yes. And it was so good. So That's good. That's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you said... Uh, the sparkling you're going yeah. to talk about? Yeah, the next one is the sparkling nigori. Uh, nigori is the word for cloudy or the milky white type mm-hmm. of sake. And Hakai-san makes a nigori-style sake that is also sparkling. So it has some bubbles in it. And it's also a junmai-style sake. Mm. But sparkling sake, especially nigori type, is all about the texture. Mm-hmm. You have a wonderful mouthfeel of the, the creaminess of the nigori. And you also have the uh, the bubbles on the palate, which I call scrubbing bubbles. They mm. do a really good job of cleansing the palate. Right. It's true for sparkling wine as well. <laughs> right. And um, uh, one of the the great things about this particular sparkling sake is that they've they've made it in such a way that the acidity is higher. Mm. That balances out the natural sweetness from all that residual starch that's okay. in there. So the higher acidity really creates balance. So you get this bright crisp finish mm. a lot of other sparkling sakes are sweet like cotton candy and right. they're, they're they're very low alcohol and very sweet but we made a sparkling sake that is 14 percent alcohol mm. and it has that bright acidity at the finish to really cleanse the palate okay so this type of sake because of the creamy mid palate the the cloudiness of the sake mm. it's really good with creamy cheeses and right. uh, creates a wonderful wonderful balance because you have that bright finish mm. and actually uh the cheese i paired it with there was a uh, real Sabran, and uh, there was a triple cream brie. So it's a rich in cream. Super cream. Yeah. Yeah. 
So the sparkling sake is bubbles and acidity really cut through the rich creaminess of the cheese beautifully. And I have a question though. So the sparkling sake is like my father's generation. It's like, no, it's not a sake. And they wouldn't take it seriously. But um, I really see great, beautiful, like Hakkasen sparkling too. Um, So how, you know, how is it maybe, how was it uh, made bubbly? In this Hakkaisen case, was it by a champagne, champagne method with the second fermentation in the bottle or um, in a tank like a Prosecco or how was it made bubbly? Well, in general, there's two ways that brewers can make a sake sparkle or have bubble in it. Mm-hmm. One is to do CO2 injection at the time of bottling, which is what we do at Hakkaisen. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason we chose that method is because you get a very consistent product at the end of uh, the oh, production. Right. The CO2 is put in right at the time of bottling and every time you open the bottle, you know how much mm-hmm. bubble you're going to get. Um, the other method that a lot of brewers use is basically, it's not really a secondary fermentation. It's basically finishing fermentation in the bottle. Mm. So you take a live mash in the bottle, uh. seal it up. The yeast continues to do its thing, and a mm. little bit of CO2 is collected. Mm. And um, that is then, uh, the fermentation is stopped through temperature, and mm. then you have the CO2 trap. So that's an alternate method mm. for creating sparkling sake. Um, but that one, you can get different outcomes because it's a real live right. uh uh, you know, yeast is creating the bubbles in that particular mm, case. So interesting. Two different methods, but I think they're both really great ways mm-hmm. to achieve the right. same effect. Depending what kind of style you look for. Exactly. Right. But that's a really interesting that, you know, the I think the demand from uh, overseas has changed the brewer's mind. And one breweries, one of the breweries I visited, so it was in Hiroshima in the West, and then the owner said, no, we never wanted to make sparkling, but we asked to make it, so we made it, and it's, look, this is so tasty. Yeah, right. absolutely. Mm. And I think that that's, that's an interesting point, because as brewers open up to the West and open up to the wider world, mm. um, they look a little bit beyond their uh, closest traditions and try something different and something new. Mm. And it's a wonderful way to bridge Japanese culture with the outside world, trying right. these new styles. Mm-hmm. And uh, sake industry is actually uh, making a progress thanks to the, the stimulus from... Uh, other countries. Right. So the what about Hakkai-san Kijoshu? Kijoshu is a super interesting sake. Kijoshu is a type of aged sake, aged a minimum of uh, one year, uh, usually two years. And basically when they're fermenting the mash, um, normally they add water mm. to the mash. But in the case of Kijoshu, at one of the stages, they add finished sake instead of water. Mm-hmm. So the fermentation itself is fortified with a bit of finished sake. Mm. This lends uh, a great richness to the sake, mm. and it comes out much, much sweeter. There's a lot more residual sugar. Okay. I describe this type of kijoshu sake as, uh, you know, our style. Some you could consider it like a German ice wine. Mm. It's concentrated. It's sweet. You usually serve it in smaller portions, mm. and it's absolutely delicious it's sweet but it has all those amino acids and that richness to it right. so you don't feel like sugary sweet no not at all mm. and um there's great balance to it but it is definitely on the sweeter side and my favorite pairing with that i'm not sure what you did at the cheese event but mm. we i love blue cheese with that mm. particular sake that's what we did all right <laughs> <laughs> so the pairing cheese was uh Bouldervania, that was which is a creamy cow's milk blue cheese and it has strong pungent taste and the texture is moist. So the sweet- sweetness of Kijoshu was perfect to soften the spiciness of the blue cheese. Yes. Mm. Okay. I'm getting hungry now. Yeah, no, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's interesting. The three sake is so diverse in style. 
and taste the sparkling and uh, pure rice and with lactic acid and also this uh, the sweeter kijoshu. Yeah. Right. So it's a huge world of sake right there. Yeah, and it's amazing how sake can open up to so many types of cuisine. That's a great example of French cheese board and and Japanese sake making such a wonderful match. I think it's fantastic. Right. Okay. And uh, maybe you can give us some tips for sake and food pairings other than cheese. Sure. Um, one thing that I mentioned before is that sake is rich in amino acids. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, what that translates to on the palate is that sense of umami. Mm. And umami is that delicious savoriness that you find very often in Japanese food. I tell people to think about shiitake mushrooms mm. or dashi broth. Mm. These are perfect examples of that savory, delicious, kind of meaty umami flavor. Mm. So sake and umami go together hand in hand. Mm. Um, there's a much, much more amino acids. So you get, you really pick up on that sense of savoriness. So, so I say, look for savory in your food. Mm. Look for um, things. It doesn't have to be Japanese food, but look for things that might have mushrooms. Parmesan cheese is another thing that's rich in umami. Fish is rich in umami. Mm. Um, tomatoes are rich tomatoes, in umami. Right. So you can look for these ingredients mm. and try pairing them with sake. And of course, we just talked about cheese. So anything with cheese is wonderful right. with sake as well. So tomato, I was interested because, you know, Italian food mm. can work really well with uh, southern Italian food with yes. the sake. Absolutely. Mm. Sake and pizza, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm curious, specifically, like, uh, you know, here at Roberta's, you know, we're having the show. Um, so pizza, with what kind of sparkling or a jumai, daiginjo, mm. kind of a... Well, you know, I think that you'd want to stay away from something very fragrant and daiginjo-like. So mm. I would pick a very clean mm. Junmai Ginjo sake. If I was picking from the Hakkai-san range, I would want to try the Junmai Ginjo mm-hmm. and also the Honjozo. Honjozo has a little bit more richness and a bit more mm. body and structure to it. Mm. So that might stand up well to the cheese and the crust. Right. So I would go either with the Junmai Ginjo for, for a really clean taste or the Honjozo for a little bit more body. Mm. Okay. So maybe you can quickly tell our listeners that the Junmai Ginjo, because that's one of the most common sake type. Yeah, that's the sake that changed my life that we started mm. with. Yeah, it's super clean, crisp. I call it magic water sometimes because it's so pure. Mm-hmm. It has a very dry finish, uh, very crisp and cleansing. Mm. And it's a wonderful backdrop to so many different types of food. It's mm. a really an all-purpose, super delicious sake. Okay, so you, you find the Junmai Ginjo that's the probably that's you, you my go-to okay. that's my go-to yeah mm. so jumite again it's uh, no fortified alcohol added right. and the ginjo is uh, how how much rice is milled that's right mm. so jumite ginjo you could consider like a middle grade of premium mm-hmm. and um, uh, it's really really a great balance usually in a jumite ginjo sake mm, okay as an extension of my question now so could you give us some tips for choosing sake at the restaurant or retail store absolutely it may sound silly, but looking at price is actually not a bad thing to do. Mm. Um, sake is very often, uh, the quality is based on how much the rice was milled in a lot of cases. The more the rice was milled or polished down, the more premium and mm. expensive the sake will be. Right. And very often quality goes hand in hand with that. Mm. So um, 
I say if look look to a price you're comfortable with, but if you want a little bit more of a quality experience, you do in almost all cases have to pay a little bit more. Mm. So look to the price. That's a great way. If you don't know where to start, you can start there. Mm. Um, the other thing I tell people is always go to places that specialize in sake and talk to the people in the restaurant, the mm. servers, the bartenders, the manager. They're usually big sake fans too. And as I learned from them, mm. I encourage other people to learn from the people in the restaurant who love sake. Right. You can really get a lot of good tips and recommendations from them. Mm. Do you have any suggestions of actual restaurants, bars in New York City? Well, Sakagura, I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. uh, Sakagura has the largest sake list in mm -hmm. New York. Right, that's in the Midtown. It's in Midtown, 43rd and 3rd. Mm -hmm. And um, that's a wonderful place. I sometimes refer to it as the mothership okay. of sake. Because <laughs> it's been around for a long time and a lot of people have cut their teeth there learning about sake. Mm -hmm. There's another place on the Lower East Side called Yoparai. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have an amazing, amazing uh, upscale izakaya there with... Uh, Wonderful, wonderful curated sake list. Nupara mm. means a drunk person. A little drunkard, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And uh, so I heard you travel a lot, even to um, like Middle East yes. or many different countries. So what's the reaction of the people locally? Is the same passionate reaction from uh, the U.S.? Is the same thing? Well, it's been interesting because when I when I started in New York, there was not a lot of knowledge and people just off the street didn't know much about sake. That's changed over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. But when I traveled to Brazil or Dubai or, you know, Manitoba, Canada, these places are beginning to um, develop their sake scene. So it's a little bit of a time warp for me. They're just getting started and having the same basic questions. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to see this change happen in a new location with a new culture. Mm -hmm. But the bright side is that people are getting more and more interested about sake all over the world. So mm. I see a very bright future. Oh, wow. That's great. All right. So um, thank you for joining us today, Tim. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, please come back. Thanks. And uh, if you listeners, if you'd like to know more about Tim's work, please visit urbansake.com. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, please contact us at heritageradionetwork.org. And by the way, we recently launched a beautiful new website. So please visit our page. And today's show was made possible by Santori, and our engineer is Jack Inslee. Japanese is live at 3 p.m. on Mondays and always available at heritageradionetwork.org, iTunes, and Stitcher podcast. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>